the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Is curiosity the answer to polarization? As in, if we were more interested in the why and how of the ways people come up with ideas that conflict with our own, would we be less worried about the profound divisions that exist in our politics and culture? Monica Guzman is author of a book called I Never Thought of It That Way. We are going to discuss the curiosity she is encouraging next on Detroit Today, right after the news from NPR. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and as always, thanks for tuning in. These days, there are a lot of people who seem to be happy going about their lives in anger. They wake up and scroll through Twitter, getting outraged about what somebody or some group did. They listen to media that confirm their previously held beliefs and get more outraged at the other side. And this anger is unconfined. One of the problems that we find today is the degree to which this anger that we have about people who think differently from us grows into hate, absolute hate. And I'm not talking about strangers. Some people are finding it easier to hate friends, former friends, family members, people you know who hold different political opinions or cultural opinions than you do. Coming up on the holidays, Thanksgiving, other times of the year that we are supposed to be gathering with those close to us. And I know there is a lot of apprehension about people you disagree with who are going to be part of those gatherings. It's getting worse, not better, in our culture. Monica Guzman is someone who knows a lot about this. She's a senior fellow at Braver Angels, which is a nonprofit working to depolarize our country. And she's concerned that a lot of our relationships are just being torn apart by the political divide. And she's been trying to act a little differently and is encouraging other people to do the same. Now, she exists in a really interesting space. She is the liberal-leaning daughter of Mexican-American immigrant parents who voted twice for Donald Trump. Concerned that these political differences would create havoc for their relationships, Monica has tried a different approach. She's leading a life that is more open, more curious, and probably a little more intellectually humble. And she's written about this approach in her new book, I Never Thought of It That Way. I'm going to be honest. I'm not sure 
her tactics will significantly depolarize our country, even if all of us adopted them. The truth is we have really institutional flaws that are keeping us divided. We have issues that I think in many ways are somewhat unresolvable, at least in the short term. And you have people who for centuries in this country have been disenfranchised and robbed of an equal voice in the process now standing up and saying, hey, I want to be heard. I want to be counted. That's a recipe for division. It's a recipe for tension and anxiety. But I also think it's always good to be open and curious rather than angry about these divisions. Anger, of course, has its place in our politics and in our culture and our personal lives. But curiosity about differences, about people who come to their ideas in a different way than we do, I think is just as valuable. And I think we should cherish relationships with family and friends, especially regardless of their beliefs. It's that trust and cooperation and love that not only will improve our politics, but I think it makes our interior lives much richer as well. So how do we do this? How can we be more curious in a time when it feels harder and sometimes less safe to do so? How can we effectively listen to people we disagree with, especially those we're not sure we can take in good faith? Here to talk about all those questions and about her approach to these issues is Monica Guzman. Monica, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey there. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you here. So uh, I, I want to start here. W what was your reaction when you found out that your family members who are immigrants from Mexico voted for Donald Trump for president? I think that's an experience that an awful lot of people had uh, over the last six years. Yeah, I found out that that was their plan uh, fairly early in the campaign. My dad supported Trump in the primaries and got pretty excited early on. My mom uh, would have preferred probably someone else in the primaries, but eventually just said, okay, this is my choice. And we ended up, I mean, my reaction, frankly, given my own politics was complete confoundedness. You know, the, the sorts of angry kinds of thoughts, like you didn't raise me to choose somebody like this, that that kind of thing. And, and in fact, even though, though that was an angry thought, that ended up being the way that these conversations would crack open, you know, and I would hear my mom and my dad give me reasons that I hadn't really considered, give me reasons that made sense given who they are and what they believe. And I got to the point, which I admit in the book and, and took some courage to admit that I sort of knew that if I were them, I would have voted for Trump too. And to get to that level of understanding uh, was not easy, but was very illuminating uh, and served to make have things make sense, even if I really didn't agree with them. So I want to back up just a, a bit here and talk about what motivates this this process that you that you went through. You use the word curiosity, and I think that's really really 
important. Um, it's important to distinguish that, I think, um, from acceptance uh, or acquiescence. When we talk about things like uh, being able to talk to people we disagree with, when we use words like civility, I think it triggers a lot of people who who automatically go to the space of thinking, well, you're just kind of giving up and you're just accepting that uh, these awful things can happen and that people can believe uh, awful things. But when you frame it in the context of curiosity, I think that draws a different kind of line. You're not necessarily accepting what the other people are saying or doing. You're trying to understand why. You're trying to learn about how they got to where they got and whether there's something that you might draw from it. Yeah, that's right. I think there is this pervasive misconception that if I engage with someone who disagrees with me, I'm already tacitly putting my views beneath theirs. That if I'm listening and I'm allowing them to tell their story, to explain something from those views, then then yeah, then I'm kind of weakening my own convictions. And I think this is one of the most tragic misconceptions that there are out there. Uh, to borrow also terms from a fellow bridge builder, Dylan, Dylan Marin, he talks about how empathy is not endorsement. You, when when you go up and you want to know, you can be you can be perfectly candid. You know, I gotta be honest with you. I, th- this is what I believe. I believe it very strongly. I recognize the anxiety out there, and that that these issues are complicated for a lot of people. And so I'm really curious how you came to believe what you believe. Can I ask you about that? And that's it. Like in that sort of posture, you are not weakening or letting go of your convictions at all. And that is not what curiosity requires. Yeah. So uh, tell me uh, what your parents and other family members said about why they supported Donald Trump. I mean, this is someone who said during his campaign that he wanted to build a wall along Mexicans, the, the, the border with Mexico. He also called Mexicans rapists and criminals. And as president, instituted uh, immigration policies that were absolutely designed to make it harder for people, some people, certain kinds of people, certain people uh, with eth- certain ethnic backgrounds to come to this country. So mm-hmm. what, what does your family say about their support for this, for this person? Yeah, one, one thing that was really illuminating for me when I asked my, my dad a series of questions around what I do believe is one of the most powerful, curious questions across disagreement, which is how did you come to believe what you believe? Not why do you believe what you believe, which can sound aggressive and judgmental, but how did you come to believe what you believe? And he told me a story about when he was growing up as a kid in Mexico, he would watch his father be mocked by his father's friends for not paying his taxes on time. I mean, sorry, for paying his taxes on time. Mexico is is a place where you can get away with some things. And my grandfather was someone who followed the rules out of principle, even though he didn't have to. And my dad saw that and really admired it. He he liked that that was his posture to the world. So my dad looked north to the United States and thought, there's a country that enforces its laws. There's a country that doesn't let people just stomp all over them. So when he thinks about immigration, Um, You know, when he brought me and my brother when we were kids into this country, he did it in a certain way. He he followed the rules. 
So he does not really identify with folks who would come into this country a different way. Uh, he doesn't empathize that much with that experience. And he just feels this strong respect for anyone in the United States who would say, hey, we got to begin by following the laws. If we want to change the laws, fine. But first, we've got to enforce them. We've, we've got to do it. So that to me, it just added up. And I said, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, why the more liberal perspective on immigration just doesn't speak to you. Uh, so that's my dad. And I can say more about my mom, um, but but let me know if you'd like to hear Yeah, that. no, I, I, would, I would love to hear that. But I'd also love to hear how your own processing of those same issues is different and, and why. But but let's start with, mm-hmm. with, with what your mom says. Yeah, so for my mom, she does hold conservative views on a lot of policies, but by far the one that affects her most deeply is abortion. So for years, when I was in high school, she started uh, the Right to Life Club at my Catholic high school, brought students down to the March for Life in Washington, D.C. She, she also worked in New Hampshire. She volunteered at a clinic that counseled women who had just had abortions or were thinking of having abortions. And I remember her coming home traumatized, <laughs> carrying some women's pain, crying, um, having a hard time sleeping. You know, and me and my brother would watch her <laughs> try to cope. So for her, it's very difficult to think of a devil worse than a devil who would allow what she sees as the murder of unborn children. Hmm. And so talk about your own views and how they differ from your parents, how you came to those views, given that you were, of course, raised by uh, by your parents and uh, and how, I guess, you're able to better negotiate now perhaps with them about these differences and and leaving them be uh, than than before. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone has a different journey on recognizing and learning their own political identity. For me, I think I started paying attention in high school. I got uh, a TV in my room when I was 16 years old for my birthday, (laughs) and I would come home and turn on CNN headline news, and I started to watch uh, the news and bring it to school. I remember we had a, you know, a mock election, you know, in the late 90s, and the 2000 election came up, and I was squarely on the Democrat side by then. So, yeah, I mean, my my views on immigration definitely lean more liberal. I remember really loud arguments with my parents over things like Clinton's welfare policy and welfare as a as a system and a concept. And they were very afraid that, you know, there'd be abuse. We got to be careful. And I was more like, but people need help. Mm. And, you know, constantly getting friction around that. I also remember when um, when I sort of knew that I was pro-choice and telling my mom about that. And, and how it was pretty painful for her to hear that I came down in a different place. We had hours and hours and hours of conversation in high school, you know, and, 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 and further exploring the contours of that difference. Um, and to her credit, I mean, given that this is an issue that she cares about so deeply, uh, she really was able to listen to me. She was very curious about my views and where they came from. And so I feel like those conversations went all over the place. Sometimes they were really hard and and really angry, but most of the time they were not. And and they were curious and calm, you know, and and she would ask questions and I would ask questions of her and I would concede some points, (laughs) you know. Um, I asked my mother while I was writing my book, I never thought of it that way. I did ask her like, mom, what do you think makes it possible for, for you and I still to have these long conversations and like try to understand each other? 
And she immediately, without skipping a beat, said, well, you know, Monica, <clears throat> you and I acknowledge each other's good points. Mm. And I immediately knew what she meant. I said, you're right. We do. <laughs> it's not about who's winning. It's about who's understanding what. I'm talking with uh, Monica Guzman. She's a senior fellow at uh, Braver Angels, a nonprofit that is working to depolarize America. She's also the author of I Never Thought of It That Way, How to Fearless, How to Have Fearlessly Curious Conversations in Dangerously Divided Times. Uh, we're talking about uh, ways in which we can be more curious about people uh, who we disagree with, especially people close to us, family, friends, neighbors, uh, people in our religious communities. How do we make sure that uh, these profound differences that exist in this country, real differences, real differences of opinion and culture and uh, and background, uh, don't lead us to uh, this, this absolute high-pitched anger that you see in so many places so often right now. Uh, we want to hear from you during the conversation as well. Um, tell us how you manage these kinds of difficult relationships. Have your close relationships with friends or family uh, deteriorated over the last couple of years because of the nature of the political disagreements uh, that you have? Uh, are you more embittered with friends and family than you'd like to be? Uh, also, let us know if you've been able to kind of open yourself up more to those you disagree with and accept them for what they think and how they feel. Tell us how you do that. Uh, how, how have you indulged curiosity uh, a little more than criticism, perhaps, uh, especially close in in these very important relationships? Um, also, give us a call and let us know if you're somebody who just can't do this or does not see much value in this kind of reaching out to people you disagree with. Uh, if you feel like this is the time to be fighting, this is the time to be standing up for uh, the things that you believe and not backing down in any way, including uh, even indulging uh, those folks who think differently, uh, give us a call and tell us why and tell us how you think that will all resolve itself. Uh, at some point, how do you how do you end the conversation and get to a solution uh, if that's the approach? As always, the number here on the phones is three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and uh, we can work you into the conversation. Before we get to to our callers and social media, Monica, I, I do want to bring up an argument that a lot of people bring up when I talk about this and they say, look, there are some folks who are just too hateful and not trustworthy uh, in the way that they are pursuing po their political ends. Um, and that makes them unworthy to develop as friends or to keep as close families. Can you talk about the limits of this approach, the practical limits uh, of this approach, given the, the the kind of dishonesty that we see, I think, um, that that uh, that some folks are absolutely uh, embracing and pushing. Yeah, and I think that's such an important question. Um, I think that because because of the circumstances and the anxiety and the stress and the exhaustion and the emotional labor, and I could go on and on, 
behind some of this work, right? The way that it feels uh, to psychologically even approach someone who holds an idea that we just feel very strongly is, is a bad idea. Um, you know, talking about limits is really important. And I've, I've thought and thought about this a lot. And, and the best the best advice I could give about when to know that it's just not working uh, within a conversation is that heat in a conversation itself is not the problem. Mm -hmm. Heat can be good. The difference is whether it's cooking something or burning something. Is it cooking up understanding? Is it pushing you to reach deeper and reflect on what you really think beyond just what your side thinks or what the memes and the talking points say? That's cooking something. That's awesome. You know, <laughs> are you having to explain yourself to somebody else in a way that helps you understand yourself better? That's cool. <laughs> are you are you making sense of another point of view in a way that turns down the volume on that stress in your own life out in the world? That's great. But is it burning something. Can you tell that in the course of the conversation, your own sense of dignity is being burned, uh, that your relationship that you value is being burned, the heat is getting too high and it's out of control and you're not sure how to contain it. So something something has transpired that just feels like it's crossed the line, right? Mm -hmm. These are things where you cannot script it out. For some people, I've, I have a couple of friends who are so good at insulting banter you would think listening to them that they hate each other. They love each other, right? Everyone has a different language and a different amount of trust underneath their relationship that holds up all kinds of candor and, and different ways of saying things. So we can't make uniform rules across anything. And then I also get, you know, well, what about, right, someone who believes this horrible thing uh, about, well, you know, given whatever issue it is. and And here's where fear comes in. And here's where... I would offer an invitation to, to uncertainty because the research has shown us over and over again that when you ask someone on one side of the political divide to guess at the views on the other side, we consistently exaggerate how extreme those views are and how many people hold the most extreme views consistently. And this happens on both sides. Also worth noting is that research has shown that people on each side believe that people on the other side despise them twice as much as they actually do. So knowing both those things is an invitation to humility. So we may think if I'm talking to someone on the other side, I'm going to encounter a monster. But will you? How, how, how pervasive is whatever belief you're afraid you're gonna encounter? Yeah. And then if you do encounter that belief, is the fear that it will infect you is the fear that you will let it loose onto the world, that you will endorse it by, by having encountered it? What is that fear? I, I believe that, and I know, I know, we have extraordinarily deep constitutions. Despite the fact that social media makes it look like somebody drops a meme and then everybody changes their mind, guess what? <laughs> Nobody changes their mind from a meme. We actually have opinions that have roots that go deep down into our lives. So if we encounter someone, even with a bad idea that at least we can say, oh, I, I get why you would believe that. That doesn't mean that it's suddenly something we're gonna adopt and we're gonna become some kind of monster. It's not how it works. So, so these are all reasons to think, if you're afraid of what you will encounter, do you have reason to be that afraid? 
Um, because fear is one of the arch-villains of curiosity. If you, you cannot wonder about something you think is out to get you. When we're afraid, we're less creative. We're less collaborative. We're about fight or flight. Look at our politics based on fear, fueled by fear. But our political debates are not right now fueled by actual ideological disagreement. There is ideological disagreement, but the research is showing us that what's animating our politics is how we feel about each other, not where the actual disagreements lie. Yeah. We are exaggerating in an enormous way. Yeah. And what, what can we do to compensate? Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to continue this really wonderful conversation with Monica Guzman, author of I Never Thought of It That Way. We're going to want to begin to hear from you, our listeners as well, on the phones and on social. 313-577-1019 is the number. Bernadette in Old Redford, Sean in Beverly Hills, Bob in Armida. We will get to you next. You want to join them again, 313 577 1019. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Our guest is Monica Guzman. She's a senior fellow at Braver Angels, a nonprofit that is working to depolarize our country. She's also the author of I Never Thought of It That Way How to Have fearlessly curious conversations in dangerously divided times. Uh, We want to hear from you during the conversation as well. How are you dealing with uh, division and conflict these days, which seems to be at uh, a fever pitch and in more places than many of us maybe had suspected? Uh, Do you find it easy to be curious about what brought somebody to a point of view that is differing from yours, rather than just critical of the fact that uh, they are not thinking the way you are. Uh, As always, the number here on the phones, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we can work you into the conversation that way. Big Neo on Twitter says, I have friends that align with the GOP, and we disagree on any number of things, but it doesn't affect our relationship because we're friends. And we're well before things got to this polarized state. We make sure to really listen to each other, uh, even though we don't disagree. Uh, Let's go to the phones. Uh, Sean in Beverly Hills, you're up first. What's on your mind, Sean? Uh, Recently, I had an uncle pass uh, who lived in Florida. And I've been visiting Florida since I was about 11 years old. And and he just died recently, and I'm 42. And I've I've lived in Michigan and Florida. I can see the differences and, and... when I was in Florida, it was different. You were around different people. You heard different things. You heard a lot of things you didn't agree with, or a lot of times when you're growing up, you hear things from people that you love, and you find out later on that those weren't really good things. You know, mm. certain people were certain things to them, and it, it's a rough thing to grow up around. But recently he died, and 56, 58 years old, ate fast food three times a day, had his convictions, had his beliefs, and had his 50-inch 
screen TV on Fox News. And, <laughs> you know, I spoke at his funeral. He's my uncle. He's not blood uncle. He's married to my aunt. But to me, it, it, it made no difference. So I spoke at his funeral, and, you know, I spoke about what we did have in common. And that uh, there's a lot of things that everybody, we all share things that we don't like about each other, but my my point was that I took away the good from him. He could have convictions and values that I don't agree with, but he had convictions and values, mm. right? You just take the best out of people and you leave the rest, but it's difficult. Yeah. Yeah, hard. Um, I'm curious, Sean. And, and first, I want to say that I'm sorry that uh, that you've lost your uncle. Um, but did it take you some time to come to that space? I mean, was it always something that you were able to sort out the difference between uh, the things that he believed that you didn't agree with and the fact that you know he, he was your uncle and you had this f- close familial relationship? You know, I, I, I was kind of raised by my uncles, in a way. Uh, I have a father who lives in Florida, but divorced a long time ago. So I, I looked at family members for, I was starving for understanding and, 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 and leadership, a, a father figure that was actually had some morals. So I, I really got a taste of everybody's different personalities, and, and, and which also means it's confusing. You know, you got somebody you love. But, but they don't like this, and they don't love these kind of people. And you're just like, it's hard to make sense of it. No, it took a long time. Yeah. You know, when you're young and, and you hear these things, you're, you're more rebellious. You know, oh, you're this and you're that, and it's not productive. And the older you get and a little more calmer, you, you can start to appreciate people for who they are. And, and the, the person who spoke recently about having conversations and questions and the way you talk to people, the way... If you sound condescending to a whole another belief where people have different political views than you, you're you're done for. Yeah, yeah. We're uh, just getting more and more divided. Sean, yeah. I I really appreciate the call and you're sharing that story. And and, and again, sorry about the loss of your uncle, uh, Monica Guzman. React to what uh, Sean's talking about here. Yeah, I mean, first of all, Sean, thank you for for sharing that. I think. A lot of what you said really resonates with me, particularly at the end. You said, you know, condescension is is not, it doesn't work. You know, anything that comes off condescending can't be curious. And, and I think that's so important uh, because so often we come to conversations across disagreement, especially maybe with people with whom we have a strong relationship with. When you have a relationship, you have expectations. And then people don't meet your expectations. <laughs> Right. And so it becomes a little harsher. And so what we want to do is change them. You know, I'm having this conversation with you and eh, maybe I want to know what you believe, but really, I just want to change you. And when when we come in with that sort of posture, that is condescending. And that can be really difficult to embrace, because, again, there are some great ideas out there and there's some really bad ideas out there. And uh yeah, when it's sort of clear in our hearts, the difference there, and we know someone who holds just a bad idea, uh, the temptation is to say, well, gosh, I, I'm only engaging with you, and I'm only going to feel that it's a good thing as long as I see you make progress out of that idea. And and if that's starting to just feel too toxic, then I'm, I'm out. I'm going to burn this bridge. So that's the other thing is the difficulty, the, the difficulty at times in keeping these relationships. Now, I talk about 
I talk about in the book how the most important thing to do with a bridge between you and someone else is not actually to cross that bridge. The most important thing to do is to keep that bridge. It may be that this Thanksgiving is not the time. You're not going to find the right time to bring up whatever topic you, you want to get curious about and have a conversation about. It may not be for another year or two, but if you burn that bridge entirely, then that's it. There's no chance. And here's the thing. We know also from research that when people are around, when people spend more time discussing ideas with only like-minded people, our ideas intensify and we want to make bigger steps to address the policy changes we want. Every time we burn a bridge with someone who disagrees with us, we're sort of upping the ratio that they would spend time with only people who agree with them. So there's folks who think I'm going to do less harm if I just don't associate with this person. But actually, you're taking away the friction that you might have represented. You might have been the way that slowly, if they feel heard, if, they, if there's trust, you can present something that's different. I mean, that's happened with me and my parents constantly, where it feels like we're the ones sort of explaining, you know, conservatives and liberals to each other. There's things that my parents would have never heard if not for me telling them, right? And vice versa. And so that's part of what we feel the value really is in maintaining this link is our society is losing organic connections between people who believe different things. And that means that it's eroding our sense of goodwill. That means that we are having more monstrous and monstrous ideas of who each other is because we're not sharing, you know, we're not interacting as much as neighbors. We're not interacting as much as family members. We're not seeing the good to what you were saying. And the good is really important. People kind of think, I'm when I talk to this person, I'm approaching an invalid idea. But you're approaching a valid person. We're all valid people, and we have a lot more than one idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Sean, really appreciate the call and you sharing uh, that story. Let's go next to Melissa here in Metro Detroit. Melissa, welcome to the show. Uh, hi, Stephen, uh, and hello to your guest. Um, right, so... Um, the anger part of it really interests me because I try to work on that all the time, not letting people um, get me angry with their political views. And one of the things that, that has really helped me is I read something back a handful of years ago, and the writer said, you know, if you ha had the exact same experiences as that other person, you would think, do, behave, not do exactly like that person. And I objected profusely to that when I read that. I'm like, no, they're crazy. I'm not crazy. Uh, but then I thought about it. I thought, well, yeah, we're kind of born like, you know, if you look at a beach, that's kind of like us when we're born. We're all grains of sand. We might differ a little bit, but we're basically the same. And then we're conditioned to behave certain mm. ways. Mm. And so that really helps me. Now, I fail at it sometimes. I get angry. And I, then I have to try to help, try to get myself to remind myself, okay, you didn't have their experiences uh, okay, so I work on it. So that's what I aspire to do, and that helps me. So I thought I'd throw that out there in case that would help anybody else. Yeah, yeah. I uh, appreciate that, Melissa. Thanks so much for the call. Let's go next to Beth in Detroit. Beth, welcome to the show. Hi. Hey. Um, I'm sorry, small children in the background. That's okay. <laughs> I, um, I tend to be more liberal, and I come from family and married into family that is more conservative. And I feel like the the way that I 
manage that is by not talking about politics with my family. Because I had found that going back to college whenever I did was when all of a sudden I couldn't have a nice time around my dad anymore Mm -hmm. because I was so angry about what he or crying even because it hurt my feelings to hear my dad, who I love so much, say things that were really upsetting to me about immigrants or any number of things. And so I find that my best plan is just to avoid it altogether. And I can't decide if that's fair and reasonable, that I'm, I'm just focusing on, on what we have in common, that we're family, that we love each other, that we play games together, that they spend time with my kids because they're grandparents, or if I'm somehow copying out on an opportunity to talk about politics. Like, is, is our relationship somehow less valuable or less rich mm. as a result of not discussing those things. Yeah, that's a great, that's a really great question, uh, Beth. I'm glad you called and asked it. Uh, Monica Guzman, what's the answer? Oh my gosh. Uh, first of all, that is a dilemma shared by so many people. You are so not alone, right? The tension being, if I if I engage, I get upset. I worry that the relationship gets burned in my own heart, right? And the ability to spend good time um, with with these family members. On the other hand, if I believe in these things, shouldn't I be more of an ambassador? Shouldn't I be working on persuasion or at least introducing a different way of looking at things? Like, what is the right way? And um, that that tension is so alive for so many people. So the the first thing I would say is that just the fact that you have the relationship, that that bridge is there, is already awesome. <laughs> and, and it's already carrying a lot more than you might think. You know, with so many people burning these bridges and these relationships organically fading, you're, you're, already, you're already in a good spot. Now, the other thing is that there is, there is no one right answer for everybody on this. Um, there are some folks who really have gotten to that place of, okay, there's a truce. We don't talk about politics. And that's the way that we all feel good. We've accepted each other. Okay. All right. <clears throat> but for example, I spoke with, an, um, there's a woman coming to mind named Courtney who, you know, got to that truce with her father and, and her father said, all right, let's just not talk about politics. And she accepted that for a while, but then she realized that if they didn't talk about politics, politics mattered so much to her and who she was that it felt like her dad was saying, I don't want to talk about you. And, and she's like, I'm not even being seen. This isn't working. So then she, you know, came to Braver Angels and tried to figure out some of the skills here uh, that can make it easier. So I, I would say this, you can, you can operate on a really long timeline here. And a lot of the ways that we, that, we, that we influence each other isn't even about the argument necessarily. It's about how we conduct our, ourselves and what we model. So you never know when you might be around your relatives and the ideas come up, you know, something comes up on TV or something's going on in your community. And you model a different behavior based on different beliefs. And you you kind of show that there's there's another way to look at it. Um, and you might decide something comes up and you might say, hey, you guys probably know that I, I feel fairly strongly about this. Um, you know, I'm curious where you stand on it now. And and I'm not here to argue, but but I, I'm just I'm just curious, where do you stand on it? You know, and then maybe they say a thing or two and maybe there's an opening to dig deeper or maybe not. Maybe it's time to go make dinner. I don't know. Right. But but the fact that the bridge is there and that the relationship is there means that there's a chance that you can communicate these views to each other and enrich each other's perspectives through understanding them. Um, and so, yeah, the ideas that that you hold that ultimately end up being better ideas, 
like they have a better chance of crossing when the relationship is healthy. And so I think you're right to be thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and can I can I also say real quick something sure. about uh, the caller who was talking about anger? Sure. Um, and I wanted to pass on this tip to the audience. There's a an author named Valerie Cower who says, anger is a force that protects that which is loved. Hmm. And so we can get curious about anger too when it comes up in conversation. And one of the best ways that I've seen to diffuse the the out of control heat that can come from an angry outburst, if it's someone else doing it, you can say, I didn't know this mattered so much to you. Can mm. you tell me more? Mm. And and all of a sudden, the purpose of the anger sort of goes away. You know, people often get angry because they don't feel heard or that they're trying to express something that isn't coming across or that doesn't feel like it's being valued. And as soon as you say, I hear that, I hear that, I didn't know this mattered as much to you. That's what anger is really communicating. Okay, we need to take another quick break. Uh, When we come back, we'll continue talking with Monica Guzman about uh, her book, I Never Thought of It That Way. We'll also continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. Uh, Bernadette in Old Redford, Bob in Armada, we will uh, get to you next. And again, if you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking with Monica Guzman, a senior fellow at Braver Angels, a nonprofit that's working to depolarize our country. She's also the author of a book called I Never Thought of It That Way. Um, We're talking about curiosity and ways to be curious about people who think differently than we do, especially the importance of that. Uh, with family and friends, uh, people who are close to us, people whose relationships we value and uh, that increasingly we're seeing strained by the political divisions in our country. As always, we want to hear from you on Twitter and on the phones. You can hashtag us uh, on Twitter and we can include you that way or you can give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number again three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. Let's go to Bernadette in Old Redford. Bernadette, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hey. I start my day by listening to Detroit Today, and my radio precepts have three NPR stations. My neighbor and good friend gets her information from Fox and Facebook, and she wants to engage in political discussions. I should note that she's not a registered voter. Oh, no. <laughs> Where do we find common ground? <laughs> so, so Bernadette, are, are you unable, do you feel like, to, to engage with this person? I mean, she's your I neighbor. Do it, I do engage with her, and I think it's an opportunity for me to educate her and expand her uh, horizons. But I'm rolling my eyes the same time thinking, <laughs> what? I shouldn't be engaging with someone whose level of uh, exposure to world events is so limited. Hmm. Wow. Uh, it's a great question, uh, Bernadette. Monica, what is, what is the answer to this, to this conundrum? <laughs> oh, man. No, that, that's fascinating. I mean, 
you know, I, this this brings me back to a friend of mine while I was writing the book forwarded me a text exchange that he had had with an old high school friend, and they were on very different sides of the divide. And um, and he's going, you know, how come this didn't work, Monica? I thought I thought I was really trying to open up and and whatnot. And and I looked at the thread, and a large part of what they did was send each other articles. So he would send his friend, you know, he, well, just read, read, read this New York Times article. Like, it, it'll educate you, you know. And his friend would be like, nah, read this Blaze article. It'll educate you. <laughs> and they just went back and forth pinball. And, and you could tell, like, neither of them read any articles. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so there's something around. And I remember my friend told me my method was to inform. Why didn't it work? My method was to inform. And now this is really tricky. This is really tricky because information matters. Of, of course it does. Um, and so it's easy to think, you know, that, that the, all that all that other people need uh, to sort of be able to engage in a valuable way with me is is the, the same information I have because it is the better information. And then I'll be able to talk to them and then it's going to feel productive. Um, so from here, I'll, I'll mention um, a friend of mine, Buster Benson, uh, talks about three conversations of disagreement. The, the conversation about what is true, the conversation about what is meaningful, and the conversation about what is useful. And I think that often we get stuck on the conversation about what is true, that it's the only conversation we can have. And the conversation about what is true is, is very, very much about information that you have about the rest of the world. But the only conversation that we are all equally eligible to engage in is the conversation about what is meaningful. I also believe that that really is the only conversation that can build trust. So, so this is tough, right? Because it kind of depends on your philosophy on citizenship and civics. Uh, it, the, the person who is not quote unquote educated about issues, their vote is just as important as the person who is. Mm. And they, their citizenship is just as powerful as the person who is. So how does one communicate across that divide? And I think it's by having the conversation about what is meaningful, yes. where how informed a person is, is not as relevant as how they walk in the world, where they come from, and how they react to the events of the moment, and how that contrasts to how you react to the events of the moment. When you're having that conversation and you're really connected, that's the place where you can say, well, look, you know, I looked into this issue and here's something I learned about this issue that really influenced me. What do you think about it? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's where that gets communicated. Otherwise, it can feel, again, condescending. Right, right, right. I mean, it's, 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 it's a turnoff to people uh, to be in a, a conversation where where that is the kind of the, the dynamic that uh, that's been introduced. Uh, Bernadette, again, really appreciate the call and uh, the great question. Let's go next to Bob in Armida. Bob, welcome to the show. Hi. Hey. Thank you for taking my call. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to uh, give just a tiny narrative and then a, uh, a question for your guest, uh, Monica, right? Yes. And then uh, just, and you stole my thunder, she did, on a word of advice to the last caller. <laughs> yeah, you, you've got to talk about um, that, how that person got to that spot, not just roll your eyes. Don't, don't be holier than thou. You, you don't know, you think you know a ton, but you may not. You need, really need to, she may feel uninformed to you, but there may be something there you're not recognizing. Anyway, um, I uh, uh, had a, a problem with my brother, 
and this liberal conversation around the Trump time to the point where his wife wouldn't allow us to talk at Mm. Thanksgiving. Oh, no. So but but so then I realized that I was missing something. So now my nightly routine and my morning routine is something like I sit for an hour or so and do news and I will watch Fox for a bit and then I'll turn to CNN. I have this switching thing on my TV that lets me go back and forth. Then I watch News Nation. Then I watch NBC or MSNBC for a bit. And you sort of see the same story over and over again, in, uh, but, but told from a different perspective. I, I suddenly realized that a lot of these conversations I was having, he, he was just quoting CNN talking points, right? And I would tell him, man, you've got to watch some Fox. And, and he said the same thing to me. So now I watch all of those. And then I will read on Yahoo uh, in between meetings, uh, Washington Post articles, New York Times articles, Wall Street Journal articles, Atlantic articles, and so on, as as much as you can yeah. in between meetings, working from home. So I, I think that, that, one, there's a responsibility for you to inform yourself across a broad band. Sure. But, but what I've noticed is if there was an example of how to do that for people, and it came from the media, which seems to be, all of this heat and all these talking points and all these um, points of view are funneled and intensified yeah. and channeled and rammed. So, Bob, I, I don't want to I don't want to cut you off, but we're going to run out of time. You said you had I, a question for Monica too. Yeah. So, so I would ask. I'd like Monica to answer if she had come home and her father was watching Fox, and instead of watching CNN, which is a liberal recruiter, watched Fox as a conservative recruiter instead and spent her whole teenage years doing that with him does she think she would be in a different place today than she that's is an now? interesting question yeah um monica go ahead and answer oh that's a fantastic question <laughs> we've, only yeah, got, we've um, only got about a minute and a half left but i want to I yeah, hear yeah, the yeah. answer <laughs> no really quick i mean i i yeah if i had done that i i think it uh it would have given me a different language for a lot of these political issues but i'll say this i i think that my views uh, our views are in our hearts and so I probably would have been dissatisfied with something Fox was saying, or I would have been like, oh, that doesn't feel quite right to me, you know? So had someone exposed me to a different kind of brand of media, I might have been like, oh, I, I think I prefer this better. So I think that happens across the board to, to all of us. And I just want to extend kudos to you for uh, mixing it up in your media diet, because you're actually getting a sense of the different languages that different people use when they believe different things. And part of that different language is what's putting us in different realities. And those of us who can speak many languages of politics uh, are going to do a lot better understanding our world. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm really impressed, Bob, by by, uh, the things that you've are talking about taking in uh, every day. I don't get to as many of those sources as I should uh, every day. So uh, good on you. Okay, uh, that is going to do it for uh, us today. Monica Guzman, it was really great to have you here for this conversation. Congratulations on the book and uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. And thanks to all the callers, you yes. guys. Yeah, really got me thinking. It's good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Okay, uh, come back Monday when we are going to talk about polling what it is, why it matters, and how to interpret it. Author Elliot Morris, who recently wrote a new book on the topic entitled Strength in Numbers, will join us. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk again on Monday.